Isn't that something? They actually have family members who made it to the front row this morning. So, uh, so good to see you guys. Matter of fact, it's good to see anybody if you've been where I've been. In the last uh, number, of, uh, number of weeks and months, uh, I walked through a pretty uh, dark place, and I'm going to share just from my heart, nothing formal, uh, but some of the things that I learned, there are many things that I learned, and kind of bring you along uh, in the journey. None of us are exempt from the attack of the enemy. None of us are exempt from our life being turned upside down, and you don't know which way is up. None of us are exempt from being caught when it's pitch black. And so I have had that experience recently, and I want to talk to you about it. I want to use a text uh, just briefly to kind of launch from, and there's only three or four words out of it, but it is the story of Elijah, and it's, it's found in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, and uh, starting with verse 3, and here's what it says, Elijah was afraid and ran from it for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. These are the words that I related to right here. I have had enough, Lord, he said. How many has ever been there? About had enough of this, you know. About all I want to take. That's, that's where I'm at. He said, take my life. Now, I didn't get that far. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down or lay under the tree and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank. Then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached, this is what I love, Horeb, the mountain of God. That's where we're all headed in the journey that we go through in the valley of the shadow of darkness. And in dark places, we say, eventually, I'd like to get to the mountain, the mountain of the Lord. And uh, sometimes that's tough. 2018 rolled around. I don't know about you. I'm not one of those guys. I used to years ago. Uh, but I don't need to be up when the new year rolls in. How many understands? All I can do is turn on the television the next morning at 6 o'clock and I can see all the highlights of all that took place while I was sleeping. The new year came in. 2018 rolled in for us, and okay, it's wonderful. It's going to be a great, great year. We've had many great years <clears throat> that. Sharon's uh, women's event, which is a great, a great event, six or 700 ladies or more. Sometimes 800 come to that. She plans and works on that. Uh, for about nine or ten months and trying to make that happen. She has a notebook about that thick of emails and notes and everything goes off. But during that event, after getting there, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ladies and things are going well. She was on a stool right over there, s seated. Someone was up speaking and she got up to greet them and when she did, she fell. She didn't know how or why that she fell. She just fell. I mean, she caught herself, I guess, with her arm because it broke her arm. And, uh, of course, uh, that took some time uh, to heal. And, of course, uh, going through the process. But one of the lingering effects was uh, is that she would, she'd lose balance easily. So I would have to hold on to her arm. And, and if, uh, even, even today, as late, I guess, as yesterday... Uh, she'll get up from a table, and if I see her, that look on her face, and she freezes, 
I know she needs a helping hand. Doesn't happen often now, but it still happens. And we don't, we don't know how and why, what the cause we've checked and done the testing and all of that. But it's been, that, that's kind of where it, it started in our, our year. Kind of slowed everything down and uh, was un, unbelievable. In the moments when you're in darkness, the definition of darkness is a partial or absence of light, but it's also sickness or evil. It's like darkness in some cases happens to be evil. We were watching one time the testimony just uh, several, several weeks ago of Robert Morris. And Robert Morris, one of the points is, is he says, hey, the evil and the enemy has the ability to attack us and you can be under under attack. And Robert Morris tells his testimony of, of that attack of almost losing his life and should have been dead. And it was that kind of that kind of darkness, an evil that took place. I had no idea what was coming. A number of years ago, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago, I had uh, had lens uh, put in the back of my eye. I had uh, uh, torn and detached retinas a number of years ago, but had a lens in the back of the eye placed there. And somewhere uh, around uh, March or April, apparently that came loose. I began to lose vision and uh, thought, well, you know, I can, you know, I can still see, etc. cetera. Uh, finally, I got around to calling the doctor. I go to St. Luke's Eye Clinic. That's those are the guys that did it, Dr. James Gill. We bought all this property from him. The physicians there, many of them the best in the nation and their expertise. And one was Dr. Brian Philpot. Well, anyway, I got an appointment to get over there, ASAP, uh, when it happened. And I saw one of, one of their physicians and sat in the chair and she kind of examined the lie, the eye. Now, I know what a real examination is because I've been through that many times. But I also know what kind of a superficial examination is. And that's kind of what I got that day. And so the lady said, the doctor said, well, really, uh, you know, I don't really see anything. Uh, you just, your vision's just kind of getting dim and, and you probably just get you a pair of glasses. Well, I knew better. How many of you know, you know what's going on in your own body. So I know better. And I said to her, you know, I appreciate your opinion, but in reality is there's more and uh, I will get a second opinion because I don't believe you're correct. Um, you know, one of the things I often say is always tolerate those who disagree with you because they have a perfect right to their ridiculous opinion. Now, I didn't say that in a haunty way. I just said, no, I'm not satisfied with that. And so I said, I will get, get two other physicians to take a look here. I did. I made the appointment. And uh, so I went back and I was supposed to see two physicians uh, and doctor, one was Dr. Pitt Gill, James Gill's son. The other was Dr. Ryan Philpot. And so I waited and waited and waited two hours to get in to see uh, Dr. Pitt. And uh, I got in the examination room. Another lady came in. Uh, she said, why are you here? I said, well, look at the file. You know, it's right there. Uh, she said, well, uh, really, you've already seen one of the physicians. I don't, I don't think you need to see uh, the Dr. Pitt today. I said, you don't? I said, I drove two hours to get here. Uh, I'm not satisfied. I really want him to look. She said, well, you probably just need to go on to see uh, Dr. Philpot. Now, how many of you know a type A personality? 
uh, has, you, you have one response. But the thing that's always helped me is to remind me of what I do for under the Lord. <laughs> so I said, is that, that's the way it is? That's right. Okay, well, let's go over to the other physician. Went to Dr. Philpot. He looked at it, went inside. He said, wow, the lens in the back, in the back of your eye is, has fallen and is flapping. When you move your head, it flaps. Well, that's why I could see and couldn't see, see and couldn't see. He said, we're going to have to get in there right away and fish it out. He said, uh, let me check the surgery schedule for tonight. I'm thinking, whoa, now, whoa, <laughs> whoa, you know, tonight. I said, by the way, I have uh, three basal cell carcinoma on this nose, and I'm scheduled for surgery tomorrow. And he says, well, uh, that's cancer. I said, that, that's correct. And he says, well, I tell you what, um, uh, you probably get that done. Let me communicate with Dr. Pitt. Well, Dr. Pitt came in. I'm still there. And the lady who said, you really don't need to see Dr. Pitt. <laughs> you don't often get moments like that. And again, I had to remember what I do for a living, so you can't, you can't be real haunty, you know. But it's like, you know, okay. He took a look. He said, we have to get in there and do surgery. It's come loose. And uh, that's a major deal. I said, well, I have this. He said, well, that's cancer. Let's get that dealt with. So anyway, I came and I had the majority of the side of my nose uh, was dug out. And to cover it up, I, they took a eight-inch piece of my shoulder skin and put it here. So my nose showed. That's why I couldn't figure out for the first six weeks after they transplanted that skin why my head would go like that. <laughs> it just kept it just all, all on its own like that. And I'm thinking, then, then I'm reminded... Well, my shoulder is up here now, and uh, it's like renewing relationships. And uh, was you got to have humor. <laughs> so uh, they said, okay. So we did that. They did the skin. Well, now this is getting worse. And um, so uh, when that happened, um, I said, went back. Said we didn't get the surgery. He said, not with that transplant of skin. We won't do that surgery. You'll have to wait until that's totally healed. How long is that? Probably a month. I said, well, a month? That's a long time. And um, anyway, a month finally went by, and uh, we were able to, all right, let's, let's do the surgery. I asked the doctor. I said, now, what are percentages here? of going in there and fishing that out, moving the, lids to the lens to the front of the eye, new lens. He said 95% of people never have a problem, but 5% usually has a major problem. Well, the devil stood on my shoulder and said, and you will be the 5%. I thought, get behind me, Satan. You know, just get behind me. But you know what? I tell Sharon that. I tell Sharon that when she goes shopping for dresses. I said, just tell the enemy, 
Tell the enemy, get behind you, Satan. And every time she tells him that, he gets back there and tells her, oh, it looks as good from back here as it does up there <laughs> by the dress. So it's like, you know, uh, got to have a sense of humor. So anyway, we finally uh, went into surgery. The first surgery was supposed to take 15 minutes. I was in there two hours. This, uh, in the meantime, the tear or pinholes in the eyewall and the retina. Uh, and as a result of that, instead of putting gas, they put a petroleum product in there to keep the eyewall up for keep the pressure on it. Um, and that's what they did. And then from there, I went from that surgery, waited 30 minutes into another surgical room, and they did the other surgery in the same day. Uh, when I awakened, they said, well, here's what's happened. Um, challenge that was there is the pressure in your eye should be 12 or 15 or so. The pressure in my eyes, because my granny was blind, and I'm convinced it was torn and detached retina. My dad had torn and detached retinas and went blind in his eye. My brother had torn and detached retina. My other brother, torn and detached retina. My cousin, some on the Blackburn side, torn and detached retina. So it appeared to be somewhat hereditary. As a result of that, he said, you're going to be down for three weeks. And the problem was the pressure would jump to 40. Now, according to the glaucoma specialist, when pressure in your eye hits about 30, you'll be climbing the walls because of the pain. And I would, uh, they would uh, say, we're going to have to tap the eye the day after. We, we, we went back, and the pressure was 40. Headaches, nauseous, regurgitating. That's, that's regurgitate is lawn talk. Throwing up is yard talk. There's a difference. Holding a can running down the road, running an hour and a half to two hours tarpon every day for 19 out of 21 days. They would say, we got to tap your eye. That is putting a needle in here and going to the eye and pulling out the fluid and then taking a little, little, little gauge and putting it on the eyeball to test the pressure to be sure the pressure went down. And it would go from 40 to 6 or 7 which would give you a massive headache. So they had to give me shots in the arm to void the headache pain. And that was, that was every single day for days. I'm crying out to the Lord, and I'm thinking, God, what's going on here? I could feel the darkness close in. I thought, because here's the deal, there is no resolution that I could see. There is no hope that anybody's giving me. There are no words of encouragement. I did get encouragement from your cards and your letters. And Sharon would read those. But in the medical fields, like let's drive two hours, we would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive over or have an afternoon appointment and drive over. And every appointment from the time we left house to the time we got back would be more than six hours from the time we left home. And that was our life every day. It got to the place my pain was so bad, I would, I would say, we're going to tap your eye. I'd say, please tap it. You know, give me some relief. And they would tap it, get it up down to six. And then 
Next day, I would know that pressure's up. Headache, regurgitating over, let's go. We had an appointment. They'd bring it back down, and I felt, I felt alone. I felt like Joseph in Genesis 40, verse 23, the cupbearer forgot after Joseph had performed, the cupbearer forgot Joseph. I felt like the spirit of Joseph, that I've been forgotten, God. I've been forsaken. We're crying out to you. We're believing you. I'm not getting any action. I'm not. It's the same thing every single day. And then I had to fight the lies. One of the lessons I learned, in the, I had to fight the lies of the enemy. Because the enemy would get on my shoulder and tell me that nobody cared. He would tell me, you're going to be this way the rest of your life. He would tell me, you're going to go blind. He would tell me, you deserve this. He would tell me, there is no hope. He would tell me, I'm getting back at you for all the good that you have done. He would tell me, your life is over. Your career is over. He would tell me, there is no hope for you. And getting the bad reports every day, I had to fight with all of my heart against those lies. And then I remembered Elijah saying, God, I've had enough. I said to him, I've had enough. I've had just had enough of this. And I keep getting the reports. I asked the doctor, how many times can you tap my eye? He said, indefinitely, over and over again. Well, when are we going to get to the place there's no more tapping? When are we ever going to get to the place that, that we, can, we can go through that? I sat, of course, over and over, six hours every single day, have a reprieve, take the medication, 19 or 20 drops in my eye, taking pills that one of the pills was so strong, he said, if you take it long, it'll destroy the inside of your body. But you have to have it. I literally, literally had to fight the lies of the enemy. And I could tell you, in one of those times, one of those times that the enemy's there, I thought, God, this is, what, this is what the Lord gave me. Appreciate the routine of your life that maybe you once resented. I thought about God, how many times did I, I often complain about the routine, about getting up and going to work and seeing the different appointments and doing the luncheons and then the afternoon and Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I'm one of the, by the grace of God, of the few preachers who preach three times on Sunday and on Wednesday night, four times a week, by the grace of God, but that routineness. And you know, in the midst of that darkness, you know what my prayer was, God, I, I like to have just one routine day like I used to have, without pain, get up and go to work and do the business of the Father and to be able to come home and enjoy the evening. I like just one day of routineness. So I'm saying to you, don't ever get to the place that you don't appreciate the routineness of your life. Because in one situation, your routineness can evaporate just like that. Just like that. So enjoy your life and the moments in which God has given you. Here's the other thing. My faith was defined. What do I believe? Do I believe the lies and the chatter of the enemy? Do I believe they're seated there all the time? I'm certainly not getting a medical encouragement. Define my faith. Who am I? What am I made of? It was Job who said, 1315 of Job, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I had to say to myself, what is your faith? Who is your faith? Who is God? 
Look at all the times he has redeemed. Look at all the times he has healed. Look at all the moments of favor. Look at all the things that he has done. I said, that's who I am. That's who I am. I am a person of faith. I define my faith, but my faith got stronger. I thought, God, one way or another, we're coming through this. It does not matter what the results are. It does not matter what the statements are. It does not matter what the medical findings are. Here's what I know. You have this under control, and in fact, I will trust you. Though you slay me, you still are the only thing I've got to hold on to. Only God, only God, I encourage you. Define your faith. Come to the conclusion of who you are. Humorous moments, humorous moments are there. Here's another thing in the darkness I found. Dig deep into your spirit and discover your weakness. Oh God, I began to purge. Psalm 53:10. create a pure heart in me, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Buddy, I'm, I'm finding anything in my life that might be there. Some God, what about that? I confess that, confess that, confess that, confess that, confess that, confess that. I was, I was out of confession. I said, Lord, help me. You know, help me. Purify me. It's in those moments. Now listen, in the routineness of my life, I would have never dug that deep. Never dug that deep. But in the moment of darkness, you dig real deep and say, you know, you're, you're letting a lingering bitterness in your heart still stay there. Well, God, I'm giving that up. If you just touch and bring healing to me. There were moments, and I tried to keep a sense of humor, when I walked in the door every day at St. Luke's in the Tarpon office. I mean, the techs there, they knew me. Call me by you, Reverend Blackburn, et cetera. We already checked you in. We saw you coming in the door. Thank you. Soda crackers. Square, plain old soda crackers. I ate sleeve after sleeve after sleeve of those. I'd take them on medication. I just ate, drank water. It was like butter. Because it's the only thing I could hold, you know. Just sleep soda crackers. So thank you, Jesus, for soda crackers. You know, kind of like, thank you for Vienna sausage. If Vienna sausage would have helped, I would have eaten that. It didn't matter to me. But humorous moments. And one of the times and one of the visits, of course, they have these unisex bathrooms. I guess that's one that everybody goes to, male and female. And those that are in between all go to the same. I had to go to the bathroom opened the door and and there stood a lady standing facing the toilet her trousers were down here she had her hand down here I opened the door I couldn't see well I screamed and said, oh, my God, I am so sorry. She kept her posture. She didn't move. It's like I got to thinking later, she, it wouldn't have bothered her if I'd have went on in. You know, I can tell you one thing. I've never seen a behind quite that white, but it was, wow. It's like the Lord gives you a little sense of humor. Now, Sharon said, don't you dare tell that. So uh, but anyway, I thought, God, I don't want to see that woman. 
So when I, it scared me, I, I pulled back, closed the door, and I went to another waiting room. <laughs> Thought, I don't want to see her. Well, guess where she came? <laughs> right in there. She sat down. She says, hi. <laughs> hi. She said, I'm sorry. I said, so, so am I. <laughs> um, you know, I said, Lord, if I'm going through this just to see that, just please give it up. Lord, help me. She said, I'm sorry. But she said, I've been 30 years in the military. I've taken showers with about everything you could ever imagine. So it just didn't bother me at all. And I'm thinking to myself, well, no wonder you didn't move. You know? My Lord, you scared me to death. And I got, I got one good eye and one bad eye. But at any rate... Just sense of humor that are there. Said, Lord, create in me a pure heart. When the darkness came in, I finally, after tap, after tap, after tap, taking the medication, not being able to get relief with the bowels, and being very open for six, about six days one time. I'm hurting here. I'm hurting here. I'm regurgitating. I'm saying, God, I need relief. I'm taking everything you can take. Whatever, whatever all those medications are, Sharon medicated me. Trying to get relief. Finally there, I went to the bathroom and I sat down. Now, I'm just telling you. I said, now God, listen to me. I need some action. I did. I just sung it right out. I was in the handicap booth. I need some action here. I'm sure not getting much here. But I need some action here. You ever heard the phrase, heaven came down? <laughs> heaven came down. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I mean, I shouted. I ran back in the exam room there. They get ready to tap my eyes. I said, Sharon, Sharon, you're not going to believe this. But heaven came down. Hallelujah. The Lord intervened. I told him I needed action, and he came. You might say, that's funny. I'm telling you. I knew what being bound up was. So, in the midst of being tapped over and over again, we finally, he said, we've done all we can do. I think you need to see the glaucoma specialist here. Now, Sharon has been a trooper. The gal, she hates traffic, especially if she's driving. She hates this. I'm driving in it. She drives and she thinks, oh, God, this is horrible. When I'm in traffic, I think, God, this is a wonderful opportunity, <laughs> you know. But she's driving her poor hands on that steering wheel. The knuckles are white because she's hanging on. And she stood over and over and over again and helped. Our kids, Sherry and Tim, and, or, or Lori and Tim, 
help drive and others would get us there. Some days we had to go because when I'm regurgitating, somebody had to attend to that. But we said, Dr. Philpott, what's next? You see the glaucoma, Dr. Depperman. We're, we're going to face a major surgery. Went over to Depperman. He's a glaucoma guy. Because of all the trauma, it began to affect adversely my optic nerve, which if that's let go, you'll go blind. I thought I'd had all the pain in the world until Dr. Depperman got in there and we get into the back of the eye. And he said, you've got some molecules in there from the petroleum. The optic nerve is beginning to be adversely affected. And he said, you're going to have to see a glaucoma specialist, but it can't be just any specialist. It's got to be first rate. I called Dan. I said, I want you to start checking on the best of the best of glaucoma specialists in major surgery. And began to look. I said, who do you recommend, Dr. Depperman? He said, we go to University of South Florida. The glaucoma specialist there is one of the professors and teachers. Bless you. He trains people. And he said, well, there is somebody else I would recommend. He's a young man. Graduated from Purdue. Graduated from University of Florida, their ophthalmology school, with honors, and then went on to the major ophthalmology school in Miami that if you get in it's a miracle and if you graduate it's a miracle that's the top of the top there are only three I think two or three in the state he said I recommend you go to him I left his office and went over to, to Dr. Phil he did before we left he said oh by the way reverend he said it just we just got a brand new drop in it's a new kid on the block that they say has the ability to do what you need to have done in your eye. Now the day before, or Friday before that, Robert Morris, Sharon and I were watching, and Robert Morris came on and shared his testimony how the enemy tried to kill him, and that God was always in control and that prayer of people caused him to remain alive because he was supposed to be dead. Sharon said, you need to call our leadership together. You need to get them in a prayer meeting. They can break the stronghold for you. I called Dan. I said, Dan, call the leadership together Tuesday night. Have them pray for one thing, my healing. Dan called, the leadership came, staff came together on a Tuesday night. Sharon and I sat, I had scriptures, we were praising the Lord, using our prayer language and calling out to God. So you don't mistake the power of prayer. Amen. That was Tuesday. It was Wednesday, I saw Depperman. He said, oh, there's a new kid on the block. I sat in the chair, I thought, uh-oh. Guess who just came down? The new kid came right out of heaven. He said, we had to put that drop in. I went from there over to Dr. Philpot's office. He said, we're going to get ready. I've got to tap your eye. You go through. i got pictures of what all the garb they put on and this stuff they put over your eye. And, and then they, they uh, 
put salve in there and drops and everything else. And he said, okay, lean back. You know what's coming. Pinch, pressure, double vision. This time he was differently. He said, look at this place on the ceiling. He, I said, it's different from here. I said, are you sure? We're over here. He took it and went in, in the upper part. I knew the difference. They have this little deal that they put that gauges the pressure. It's like the lighter thing that you, you I've never had a lighter on charcoal trying to light it that would light the first time. You got, shh, 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 shh. Finally, the light deal lights, you know, trying to light a fire. That's the way that little tool is. <laughs> got to push it. I'm thinking, why don't y'all, why don't y'all go down and buy you one that you push it the first time and it works. This, this needle is in my eye and I need, I need an answer what it is. And they drew it from 40 to 6. And then he took it out. I thought, oh, God. And he said, reinsert. He went in the bottom of the eye. And he took that syringe and he just pushed the plunger and shot into the bottom. Dr. Depperman, only an hour before that, said there's molecules in the bottom of your eye. They look like they've gelled. He said, and they're clogging the filter up so that the pressure jumps up because there is no flow. Okay. So pressure's down, comes down, we come home Wednesday. Thursday, we went back. All the texts, the little texts there. She came in over, we're going to check your pressure. Okay, check this eye. And she said, okay, let's check this eye. Be still. She checked it. She said, oh, well, let me check it again. She checked it. She said, uh, I said, what is it reading? Now, the first little while, they wouldn't tell you. We're not supposed to tell you. But since I'm there every single day, they just gave it up. She said, it's, it's 17. It's never 17. She said, let the doctor come in. Philpott came in and checked it. He said, wow. It looks like it's 16 now. I said, I said, well, the new drop came in. My church leadership prayed last night. They prayed. It's like when Peter went to prison, you know, Peter was kept in prison in Acts 12, 5. But the church began to pray Amen. and made the difference. Church began to pray. Prayer was not an afterthought. And he said, wow. He checked, he checked the pressure, and he said, wow. He said, yesterday I did a different procedure I've never done. You may remember I went in the upper part of your eye, which was different. I said, yes. He said, I've never reinserted, but yesterday I felt I needed to reinsert. And I took the fluid I draw out in the top, and I pushed the plunger into those molecules. When I Push the plunger on those molecules, they began to float and came apart, and they were not gelled. He said that and that, I said in prayer. He said, let's pray now, Pastor. We prayed. I said, Lord, we're on to something. From there, he said, 
You need to see a, a, a glaucoma specialist, the best of the best. It's in Clearwater right now. We left Tarpon, drove to Clearwater on 19. If you survived 19, you're good. We got there. We were due to have surgery. That was on Thursday, on Friday. Pitt Gill said, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to laser the eye again. I'm going to wash it out. We're going to, we're going to try to get some action. And we're scheduled for Friday. He said, but if you go down to this doctor in Clearwater, and he says, whatever he says goes. So they released me to him. And when we got there, he looked and he said, do not do that surgery. Your eye, now this guy's the best of the best in that department. Your eye is settling down. He said, your eye has an opinion. Your eye has a mind of its own. Your eye, in fact, because of the trauma, says trauma's coming. Trauma's coming because the pressure jumps. But he said, your eye, because the pressure is only 17, has said to itself, I will settle down. We won't disrupt it. It settled down. We went back. We went back and the eye came down to 12. We didn't have the surgery. I said, wow, I also have another surgical procedure. I said, this was back Friday, this coming Tuesday, I have a surgical procedure that I scheduled at Lakeland Regional, Dr. Thigpen. He'll do a surgical procedure. I said, I have that surgery scheduled. What do I do with this? He said, let's don't do anything. It seems to be settled. Go get your surgery and come back. And when you get that surgery and come back, we'll start reducing the medication. So this is the miracle that I need you to pray for. When I get through Tuesday, get back on my feet after two or three days. I mean, don't worry, it's not a facelift or anything of that nature. <laughs> I get back on my feet after two or three days. Then we will start reducing the medication. And here's what I need from you. I need you to pray that when the medication is reduced, that the eye will say to itself, I don't need any medication anymore. I'm going to function on my own. That's the miracle that I need. That's the miracle. Here's something else that I learned. Respect and honor those who are elderly. I've had Sharon and I've had people at, at my beck and call. Sharon did a mammoth job still does but I looked at many of those people in those clinics by the hundreds and I thought I wonder who gives them the care they need they haul them in on buses from, from convalescent centers some of them have no family members I thought I wonder who cares for them and then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said can you name me one person that bandaged up the wounds of the Apostle Paul after the Roman guards beat him senselessly and threw him back in the dungeon. There was no nurse there to say, oh, let us stitch you up. Let us bandage you up. He's just thrown back after the beating. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I was there. And after being beaten, I supernaturally helped his body. Who stopped the bleeding? And I thought to myself, God, 
I am so blessed because I have all kind of people there to help bandage me up and bleed. Sharon being that person and our kids and staff here at the church. But who helps the other? And I confess to you, part of the lesson that I learned is when some individuals, and particularly the elderly, go through things. Sometimes they have no one. Sometimes they have no hope. Sometimes they're holding on for the last straw. They can't drive many of them anymore. And so I say to those of you who might be considered elderly, forgive me. But this church will pray for you more than we ever have and do what we can through our ministry to help you by the grace of God. And we stood on the Word of God. Stand on the Word of God. We stood in that prayer meeting the church leadership had on Tuesday night. This Tuesday night will be three weeks ago. Sharon and I were there and we listened to music and I pulled up scripture and read scripture. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. I said, God, I need a miracle here. God, you're able, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he sinned, he will be forgiven. I said, God, I claim that. That darkness <coughs> that paraded in around me, I could not shake it. Except I knew one thing. The answer to darkness is the light of the world. Amen. And on that Wednesday... After the church leadership prayed on Tuesday, and after Dr. Depperman said, oh, there's a new kid on the block. I said, I know where that kid came from. He came right from heaven by the grace of God just for me. It's powerful stuff. And so I'm telling you where I'm at now is go through the procedure Tuesday, get better, I found out in that process, I have a basal cell carcinoma here that'll have to be taken out. I'll do that, probably use this other shoulder so I'll be confused <laughs> which way to go. But I'll get that taken care of and come through is when the pressure or the pills are gone, and the medication, that I'll worry. Please pray with me. And then I thought, God said, celebrate. So this is when I decided to share with you my journey. There's much, much more. And when I decided to share it with you, the enemy said, you know what happens every time you really give God praise, don't you? I'll come in and I'll wreck your world. You better keep your mouth shut. You better not tell people what God has done. And we've had, I've seen that happen, boy. Well, you start paying your tithe and then you get a bill out of nowhere. So what fine work, I took that step of faith. But I'm telling you now, I know in whom I have believed. Amen. And I am fully persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against whatever the enemy has. God always prevails. Amen. Amen. So honor him, would you?
Would you stand? Would you stand to your feet? Psalms 135.3. Praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name for that is pleasant. So that's a few lessons that I learned in the darkness. Just a few. But I'm here to tell you that God is able. People ask me how I'm doing. I'll tell you how I'm doing. I'm nauseous. I stay nauseous. My eye throbs. It's the best that I have right now. But here's what I've chosen to do by the grace of God. Eat more soda crackers. <laughs> Amen. And believe God that God will help me and that eventually this will be dealt with. If the pressure does not go down once they take the medication, I will face a fourth major surgery from a glaucoma specialist that will put stents in my eyes so the flow can be freely. But the downside to that is this. If it does a real good job, it could cause the pressure to get so low in the eye, the eye caves in. So at any rate, you just say, all right, God, you know the odds on that too. We're going to trust you. So I'm asking you by a raised hand, how many of you will be praying and continue to pray for me? Amen. And Sharon, I thank you so much. Now let me say to you, I shared this testimony. Those of you that are here and some listening online, you're in this room right now and you said, I don't know what it is to face the darkness. You're in this room right now and you know someone that just is being choked down. Or maybe you and some depression or some state of anxiety. There's healing in this room. This testimony was shared to release the healing of God's anointing into your life right now. And I believe as you respond, God will give miracles as he's given me the miracles. So if you're willing to say, God, no more. I've had enough. I want to stand on your word. It was because of prayer. And that prayer worked by the grace of God. So if you're here and you need that prayer, let's trust him together. And before we ask you to come, let's just bow our heads. If you're not right with Jesus, repeat this prayer after me right now. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I have sinned. I, have sinned. I confess my sins. I confess my and I believe by faith. I am now forgiven in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, you come and let's believe God together. Would you do that? For nothing is impossible for Nothing is impossible. We'll wait on you. Nothing is Some of you leadership help us.
Thank you, Jesus. Yes, you are. Yes, you are, Jesus. And I believe you're my portion. Any more leadership? Help I us. believe you're more than enough for me. Just hang with us, everybody. Jesus, you're all I need. Yes, you are. Sing, I believe you're my healer. And I believe you're my leader. And I believe you are all I need. You are Jesus in my portion. And I believe you're my portion. And I believe you're more than Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We've endeavored to give you glory and you honor. We're asking you for divine intervention in all these people. And those online, God, we pray divine intervention for them. Lift them up, give them faith, give them courage, give them strength. Some of them have no one to turn to. So I'm asking you now, Holy Spirit, go into where they are and do what only you can do by the power of the anointed presence of a mighty God. I pray for those on this altar. I pray, God, that you would do a work in their lives. I pray for every person still in the pew. I pray, God, should they face a dark hour, I pray they'll remember, God, hang on to Jesus Christ. Hang on to the Son of God. He is the answer. Hang on to his word and do not back away, but forge ahead by the grace of God. We trust you in Jesus' name and we claim the promise. In your name we pray, amen. You're with us. Don't forget tonight we'll be here. And don't forget the newcomer event or you've been around, fill out the card and come on and join us. Love you, everybody. Try to comment, compliment someone in a positive way before you go, okay? Love you guys.